What's up, everybody? This is Grant at Cause Artist. Today, I am chatting with Hamilton Perkins, the founder and president of the Hamilton Perkins Collection, a certified B Corporation that offers designer travel bags at a very affordable price and also have the highest quality of sustainability and environmental performance. In 2014, Hamilton Perkins founded the company to produce these award-winning bags created from recycled plastic water bottles, pineapple leaf fibers, and billboard vinyl. So we'll get we'll talk a, a much more about that in the conversation. And the result is, is that there's no two bags that are ever the same. Each one is basically one for one. It's very limited edition. Hamilton was the winner of the Virginia Velocity Tour hosted by the governor of Virginia and the recipient of the HUD Community Development Block Grant. The nonprofit B-Lab, who certifies all B corporations, also honored Hamilton as the best of world at the B Corp event in 2017. Uh, the Hamilton Perkins Collection has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, Money Magazine, and the Washington Post. He was also named in the 2017 Social Entrepreneurs to Watch For here on Cause Artists. The brand is currently sold in nearly 100 leading department stores and boutique stores across the United States, Canada, and Europe. Uh, before his time, he worked as an advisor at Merrill Lynch and earlier worked as an analyst for Bank of America. And before that, early on in his career, he worked at you know boutique fashion stores where he kind of honed his skills on you know what was lacking in the industry. He also serves in a leadership capacity with various nonprofit organizations in the Virginia area and has been recognized for his volunteer work and service hours assisting low-income populations. He has a graduate degree from Old Dominion University with a degree in business, and he earned his MBA from William & Mary. Great conversation with Hamilton. Uh, we talk about everything from what is slow fashion to Amazon and how that affects his business to what is uh, the pineapple leaf fiber that he uses, why it was important for him to, to use uh, sustainable materials and upcycling um, in his brand and what's next for, for the company. Um, they have grown ever since 2014 and have really become a benchmark for slow fashion and sustainable brands. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Let's start with your journey on um, on how you started Hamilton Perkins and and how uh, how your your journey was up to that point via career wise. If you if you want to start there and how that took you in a, to starting a fashion brand. Yeah, totally. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm Hamilton Perkins. I'm the founder of Hamilton Perkins Collection. We make unique bags from sustainable materials. We use pineapple leaf fiber, recycled plastic water bottles, repurposed billboard vinyls, conference banners. Um, we've been featured in uh, publications like Forbes, Fast Company, The Washington Post, Money Magazine. Um, our products are sold in over 100 retail stores. <clears throat> um, I got started Probably around 2016, uh, when we officially launched uh, our Kickstarter campaign, we had uh, we had a ten thousand dollar goal. We had about a six month lead time on that. Um, but before I really got there, um, I worked in retail for five years. Uh, so I was a sales associate. I worked in boutiques. I worked in uh, some big box stores and. Uh, essentially, I worked in finance for uh, about six and a half years uh, after that. So, you know, basically spent some time in banking, uh, did some investment management, uh, got my MBA, came up with the concept for uh, a bag that would be two bags in one. 
um, because mm-hmm. I had a trip that I wanted to travel mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to kind of pack uh, light and I wanted to be able to carry uh, most of my personal items. I wanted to carry them on the plane with me. <laughs> and uh, I came I came back from the trip really energized. And, uh, you know, I made the bag for myself, but then I sold it to uh, some of my classmates, uh, some of my professors, some of my colleagues from my job. And I, uh, you know, from there kind of then I rolled into the, the Kickstarter campaign. So it's it's been kind of a long uh, preparation to kind of get into bags and accessories. But um, I did spend some time uh, kind of selling apparel and, you know, kind of working like just generally in business. What what, what did you see working in, um, you know, retail, um, both boutiques and sort of, you know, big box stores? Did you see sort of a, you know, a missing missing element there that you thought you you can kind of go and capture and i'm sure there there wasn't a lot of products made from uh you know recycled materials <laughs> in these exactly. uh in these boutiques and and you know big box stores yeah so when i was in the boutiques and i was working in retail i mean if we had bags at all they were usually like imported kind of mm-hmm. like you know, they were really cool bags, but there was like this gap. Even then, it was like there were affordable bags that weren't necessarily made well. And then there were kind of more higher priced, the high end bags, like, you know, the down payment on a house type of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just not attainable. But that middle ground or that, you know, that white space was, you know, to make a bag that was kind of like in the in the center of those you know, in, in those two extremes. And I think, you know, fast forward, like the ease of shopping and kind of mm-hmm. like the the authenticity and the connection, you know, those were things that like, I guess I was looking for as a consumer. And I just, you know, I was really like disappointed when I like actually went to find like a company that I could really like get excited about. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, it seemed like it was obvious that there would you know, there should be a brand or there should be a company that was doing this, but, you know, there really wasn't. So, yeah, I remember uh, when uh, we first con- we first came in contact, you know, you were probably one of the first brands that I sort of came across that actually made, you know, their product line out of recycled materials, even, you know, even so far back as 2014, you know, ages ago there, you know, now there, there, you know, there are you know, more brands out there kind of, uh, creating, um, products like, like this out of, out of these materials, but, you know, you were one of the first, so, you know, kudos on that, that, that I saw at least. So how did you sort of find the sourcing? I guess that's a, a question I'm interested in is you go from, you know, thinking in your head is like, Hey, there's, you know, plastic going into the oceans and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a real problem globally. And how did you just figure a way to just turn this stuff into products? Yeah. So sourcing from, from our perspective was like really ground up approach. Um, and what I mean by that was like, <clears throat> excuse me, really like, you know, just interviewing tons of suppliers, tons of factories, mm-hmm. tons of, uh, just like even consultants or people in the industry, agents, and just learning like what are the options, you know, mm-hmm. and just asking a lot of questions like the silly questions like why is this done this way, you know, or why does it take 10 weeks? Why can't it be done in eight weeks? Or, you know, what is the, 
minimum? Why is there a minimum? And just really getting an understanding, you know, because I think one thing that I kind of saw when I was in finance looking like at a bird's eye view is that fresh eyes, you know, tend to have this, you know, kind of like magical moment because when you, you don't know and you you just, you're naive or you just, you have no, uh, you know, you know, you're not set in your ways. It really like creates this, uh, you know, it's like this, what if, you know, Mm -hmm. well, well, what if we did make every bag actually different, you know, like what if we could actually accomplish that? Or, you know, what if the bag was made mostly from recycled materials or from upcycled uh, stuff? Like, mm-hmm. wh- why can't we do that? You know, who says that we can't? So uh, that's what we did. We looked, you know, in person. We looked online. We had phone calls, Skype, you know, all the different uh, ways that you could potentially create a supply chain Mm -hmm. and uh you know we ended up finding partners to help us with fabric with uh vinyl with some of the newer items that we make now with pineapple leaf fiber conference banners and then it was a domino effect where our customers and our clients you know now they uh they do turn to us and say hey we, Mm -hmm. we have you know x you know can you create y from it you know and and we'll say you know let's let's run some tests let's see if it will actually work you know because the needle or the thread has to you know kind of set well with the materials and Mm -hmm. uh, the pattern making and the entire sort of manufacturing process you know still has to be very specific to uh the materials but you know, once we kind of, you know, overcome those initial setup items, we're, we're typically, you know, we're off to the races from there. When you talk to, when you initially talk to people about creating bags out of this type of material, what was, what was the initial reaction? Was it, was it kind of people were like looking at you a little weird? You know, I, we did. We got a lot of, you know, <laughs> funny looks and, you know, a lot of, a lot of puzzled looks, you know, I think from our experience, most of the players we spoke to, whether they were in manufacturing or, um, you know, if they were in a factory setting, workshop setting, it was always like leather or cotton. Mm-hmm. You know, it was more like natural stuff. You know, they weren't necessarily used to seeing, say, a conference banner coming in and, you know, just like dealing with that and how to clean it up and how to wipe it down and kind of prepare it and treat it so that it can, you know, be properly uh, made into our product, which are called earth bags. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think, yeah, you're right. We definitely saw some, uh, you know, we, we, we gave, we got some funny looks, but, you know, like I say, I think when you're coming from the outside and as far as I'm concerned, you know, being in retail, you know, we, we had to start over, you know, like I had to start over. You know, mm-hmm. there, not only did I take, you know, basically a, a six, you know, almost seven year gap from kind of actively day in and day out being in retail and selling, but, you know, I had never, you know, really done manufacturing or anything. Mm-hmm. Like I hadn't, I hadn't gone through like the process. I've heard brands talk about the process and I've researched it and I've listened, but you know, that's a lot different. It's like doing, I don't know, it's like doing a push-up or something. You know, you <laughs> you can read about the push-up technique, but it's a lot different than getting up there and actually doing it. And it's a lot 
you know, you can read about running, but mm-hmm. oh, it's not yeah. the same unless you actually get out there and put the tennis shoes on and start running. Um, I want to go back to to the uh, funding part real quick, because I think people, you know, struggle with ways to, you know, get money to sort of launch their their idea. And, you know, I know, you know, people have been successful at doing the crowdfunding aspect or, or kind of, you know, getting some some family support. You know, equity crowdfunding is now an interesting path that, that some people are, are taking. But, you know, was crowdfunding the, the right thing for you guys to do or was it just the only option? And, and would you sort of uh, tell other people to, to do that to launch? Yeah. So for us, we saw all we, I mean, we looked at every funding opportunity that we could possibly look at. We looked at debt. We looked at we looked at equity. We looked at customers. We looked at crowdfunding. We looked at employees. We looked at founders. Mm-hmm. We looked at grants. And you know, I'll say, I mean, we pretty much exercised every funding option that we could exercise at at a level that you know was kind of you know relevant for the stage that we've been uh, that we were in at that time. So. Um, crowdfunding and Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you know, very, uh, I mean, when, when I looked at it, I, I kind of just looked at it from a, you know, almost like podcasting now, maybe, you know, mm-hmm, it's like mm-hmm. it, it, I've seen a lot of success on it. You know, there's a lot of, uh, interesting projects and there's a lot of things that are like, oh, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> like this, this campaign got, you know, really big funding or you know this company now is like bringing their creative idea to life that's amazing but you know i guess like i i felt like i like we were even on the tail end of kind of like you know just like the outsized returns for like what you could potentially get from like putting effort into the platform Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's just so many campaigns yeah. and, yeah. you know, there was, there was a lot of like up, what do you call it? Like ups, you know, we're, we're kind of swimming upstream a bit when sure. we were kind of telling people about it, it the idea and like what we we're going to do because so many people had been burned, you know, from the, from just campaigns in general, you know, yeah. the back projects and they just don't get, the, they don't get the reward or the perk. We knew we really had to nail that. We knew that we had to be that much better. We had to be really scrappy because we didn't have any capital. Um, so what we did was we were, you know, looking at the platform as, you know, a way to really fund our very first production run. And mm-hmm. that very first production run was going to take us about six months to create. So what we did, we reached out uh, to bloggers um, media outlets, friends, family, customer lists from, you know, just in, any customer that's ever kind of, you know, come in contact sure. with any of like the stores that I worked at wherever. <laughs> and we, we let them know, Hey, we're launching this campaign, uh, you know, on this date, would you consider pledging? You won't have uh, to, you know, actually, uh, throw down any cash until the campaign's successfully funded. Uh, mm. That's the way it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of load your card in, and then once the campaign, if the campaign is successful, then you will be charged on the last day, not up front. So I, we try to de-risk it as much as possible, but very, you know, it's a valuable experience. You know, I, I uh, from my experience. 
you know, Kickstarter or Indiegogo crowdfunding is a, it's just a great way to, you know, get customers uh, to really understand your brand. I mean, you get a chance to, you know, essentially make a press kit that um, will allow you to, mm-hmm. you know, get a lot of uh, awareness for your product and your team. And uh, from there, you know, also, I mean, the, the capital is, you know, received, you know, you can make, uh, you know, funding for your business in a way that, you know, kind of didn't really exist. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've heard these ideas um, or, you know, I think there was like uh, something about like the Statue of Liberty or parts of the Statue of Liberty's like base or something was uh, crowdfunded through like the New York Times or something like hmm. that. It, there's some like iconic structure that was like crowdfunded, like, you know, a long time ago. But like, other than that, I mean, where, what, where else would you be able to, you know, kind of like, you know, pull lots of, uh, you know, individual payments to, uh, to make, uh, a creative, bring a creative idea to life. So I'm probably going on and on about it, but I think, uh, yeah, the experience, you know, I think every entrepreneur should like have a skill set in, you know, crowdfunding and Kickstarter mm-hmm. and Indiegogo just as, uh, you know, almost like just a resume line. If you're bringing something new to the market and you want to get, like validation that it makes sense to go, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's a full production. You said that you spoke with, uh, before you took that, took that route, you spoke with a lot, you know, a lot of people trying to get, you know, a little bit of funding just for, for the first production run. And what, what were some of the the feedback you got from them? You know, cause it seems like everybody just kind of just said no, or kind of just didn't want to do it at that time. So what was some of the, did did that get you down a little bit that like nobody was interested in kind of backing you? Yeah, so in the early days, we had a preview function on the campaign. So it was like, if you go into Kickstarter, you upload photos, videos, Mm -hmm. copy, you can kind of get like a preview link and you can send that out and let people know, hey, what do you think? Do you have Mm -hmm. any, Mm -hmm. any thoughts? So that's what I meant by that's what we sent out. And the and the response to some degree was. I'd say like a small fraction, but when you're, you know, trying to get responses, it seems like it's a lot, but there were people that were saying, Hmm, I don't know. You know, I heard about campaigns before that uh, yeah. you know, so, didn't actually ship their product. So it wasn't so much about, you know, you and the product wasn't interesting or, or good. It was their reluctancy to do the crowdfunding to be a part of that because they've heard negative stories. Correct. And I always tell people the challenge with crowdfunding that you do have to overcome. Every creator has to overcome it. People have to get used to your product, which is a new thing, first of all. And second mm-hmm. of all, uh, or maybe I got that in reverse. That's the second thing. But the, the other thing is that people have to be understand crowdfunding as a whole. So we did a lot of exp- explanation and explaining how crowdfunding works and how it doesn't work. You know, it's, it's not a store, you know, that's really what Mm -hmm. the the mindset shift has to kind of come across that. Like you are supporting a creative project. Your support will be rewarded generally with the product that the creator is making. Mm -hmm. And that is what is being created. It's a community. Uh, so it's not uh, a marketplace by the, typical uh or you know mm-hmm. strict 
definition of that. So it's just yeah, we got, we got responses. We got responses that were, you know, favorable. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we sure. had more people that said yes, but I mean, e-commerce in general, it's, yeah. you know, a conversion rate game at the end of the day. You know, I, I saw the amount of traffic that it took to produce, you know, $25,000 in sales. And, you know, there were a lot more people that passed on the project than actually converted. But, you know, that's every project. There's there's a small fraction of, you know, kind of traffic or uh, visitors or viewers that actually, uh, you know, are compelled to pull out the credit card. From your time in uh, in retail to when you wanted to, to start your own thing, did you, you know, intentionally look at the landscape and be like, you know, I, I don't want to start something that just kind of, you can make really cheap bags and get them made in Bangladesh, right? It's that that's almost uh, a easier path to take than the one you took of, you know, finding different production materials and, and you know, making things out of water bottles and, uh, you know, billboard, billboard vinyl and this pineapple leaf fiber, which I can't wait to ask about. But uh, yep. <laughs> did, did you see, did you just, just look at sort of historically how, you know, these big brands went about their supply chain and their production that was a little, you know, it was a little off-putting and you kind of wanted to do something totally different? Yeah. So remember, I, I kind of alluded to it. There was this gap. I mean, I would go into like an actual luggage outlet or mm -hmm. a store that's really selling nothing but accessories or bags. And I, I just saw this gap. I saw, you know, something like under 15 or under 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. And then I saw like, you know, stuff that would start at, you know, three, four, $500 and it could really go up from there. And I just felt like there was a, you know, there was a middle ground that wasn't, there, there wasn't a product for it. And then just from an actual like ethos and aesthetic, you know, I didn't think that there was like a brand that really was speaking to me. It seemed mm -hmm. like it was speaking to a lot of different people and it seemed like it was speaking to people in a way that, you know, maybe it was reaching them or maybe it wasn't. When it comes to production, I think too, it's funny when you said, you know, there's an easier way. I, I kind of almost don't even think there's a way to like, I don't think that one way is easier mm -hmm. or not necessarily mm -hmm. because I think being in this for the amount of time that I've been in it, which is still very, uh, not a long time compared to, <laughs> you know, a, a 200 year brand or something sure. like that. I have a lot of respect for, you know, brands and even just getting stuff produced in general. Like even mm -hmm. if you, if you go wherever you have to go to, to do production, like I understand that it's really difficult. And at the end of the day, the consumer is who we're serving and the consumer is really, you know, making up the decision on what they're willing to pay for. So I think from our perspective, that was a differentiating point or that was an opportunity for uh, us to differentiate. And so, you know, starting a business, you really want to differentiate all day long. I mean, mm -hmm. if you're getting in business and you're going to make the same thing your competitor is making, well, that may be short lived or short term. So in the short term, you may win and you may have a, an increase in sales. But long term thinking, long term strategy and branding for us looked like 
you know, why don't we really take our time with this? <clears throat> Excuse me. Why don't we develop the relationships and let's, let's really, let's piece it, you know, bottom up, you know, not top down, you know, like let's look at every, every angle. I mean, I, at a point, I mean, I was talking to like, you know, almost 40 suppliers for like, you know, something hmm. that could probably just be like one, you know, one shot and, and we're done. But, yeah. you know, that gave us not just the creative control uh, to design and really make what we loved and what we wanted to, to see in the world. But at the same time, you know, we could monitor and we could measure and we could find out where we wanted to be from an impact standpoint. One, what is pineapple leaf fiber? <laughs> Yeah. So to to what is how how is the the bag conformed? Like what part of it is the water bottles? What part of it is you know the billboards? What part of it is the is the pineapple leaf fiber? Yeah. So I'll I'll kind of I'll organize this a little bit by just saying our brand is set up now with twelve styles in our current collection. We have twenty options or twenty different variations of those twelve styles. So 12 styles, uh, half of that is um, pineapple leaf fiber. Uh, we work with a company called Kinatex, uh, and they've done this amazing job of sourcing pineapple leaves, uh, turning it into a textile that mm. uh, essentially is, uh, you know, an alternate uh, natural fiber. It's a natural textile that's an alternate to leather. And uh, we have uh, that product in our line combined with uh, Billboard Vinyls, which, you know, been working with Billboard Vinyls ever since the beginning. And, you know, we our team goes and sources that. And now we're to the point where I'd say every 10 customers, the 10th customer says, you guys need any more billboards or do you need Mm -hmm. conference banners? Do you need, you know, vinyls? We've got a whole truck. We've got a whole, you know, facility, whatever the case may be. So that's one side of the line and that's our kind of premium product. So that product line, you know, kind of starts at about $80 retail MSRP goes up from there. And then there's a canvas product that we make. The canvas is made from recycled water bottles uh, those water bottles and billboard vinyl basically make more of a sportier line mm-hmm. uh, that's a little bit more casual, um, more at- uh, attainable as far as price point. Uh, so we have items uh, currently that are right around $50 starting out. And, uh, you know, we've even got some other accessories and smaller products that we'll uh, be introducing right around the $30 uh, MSRP range pretty soon. Uh, but the the core consistency throughout is that we're using materials that are either uh, like sustainable or upcycled or uh, we're reusing them in some kind of way. And then mm-hmm. we are making them all distinct and unique. So there's 12 styles. Once that production run is done, there's never another production run that's exactly the same the pineapple leaf fiber will always be consistent but you may get a pink you know you know stripe or right you might get like uh, a polka dot like it, it all depends on uh kind of what we uh have in inventory and you know we do custom projects for clients as well 
you touched on a little earlier about being in, um, you know, department stores, uh, you know, across the United States and, and Europe now. Do you see that still being a benefit for a brand to kind of be in these traditional big department stores versus just really focusing on, you know, being a strict, a strictly online retailer? Totally. So I think that omni-channel retail is still a proposition that we want to be a part of. I think that the ease of the internet and the ease of online shopping is definitely growing. And at the same time, brick and mortar and physical stores uh, are totally still here. Uh, There's a lot of uh, people that still uh, are in the malls shopping, in the stores shopping. And so for us, we want to be where the customer is and we want to make it easy for them to understand and really fully ex- experience our brand. So we're doing more pop-ups, we're doing more trunk shows, we do sell to other stores. And along with that, you know, one of the feedback consistency uh, item, you know, like the item that was always consistent in the beginning and maybe even still till now is that element of, well, what does it feel like? You know, Mm -hmm. we make, we make bags from sustainable recycled material, but the idea is that it doesn't look like it's made from something Mm. recycled or sustainable. So how does it perform? What is it? what is the feel? What does it smell like? Like people literally want to touch uh, and, and feel the product. And, and once they do, a lot of time that becomes like, oh, this is just like you know, a <laughs> yeah. bag that I've, I've already purchased. There's no lack of quality. There's, right. there's actually a, there's, there's, there's something here. Something is more, it's, it's a better product. So for that reason, I think it is important for us to still work with department stores and to work with specialty retail stores uh, and to have our own stores one day because, you know, customers, I think that the experience there is, it's a, it's a good experience to, to give to the customer. Right? We want the customer to fully um, experience our brand. How was sort of shifting, shifting a, a little bit here was that, you know, Hamilton Perkins is, is sort of a certified you know, B Corporation. And I want you to kind of touch on, you know, for people who don't know, one, what that is, and sort of two, um, how important was that to you to sort of get certified and a little bit about that process for others who who might want to take that route? So the process is very rigorous. Um, It requires uh, an impact assessment of sort of your practices and, you know, your business model, Uh, When we started, we really wanted to kind of get, you know, a third party to really look at what we were doing because we, you know, our focus is bags and accessories, just like our bankers are like, their focus is on banking us or, Mm -hmm. you know, if we hire a factory, their focus is on manufacturing. So, you know, B-Lab, their focus is on, you know, measuring impact and uh, analyzing impact. So, you know, we essentially outsourced that to them, something that they did really well. And, you know, that's kind of how we think about, you know, being efficient with the company. So, you know, today we're, you know, kind of at the, what do you call it? The, uh, the recertification point. And, you know, it still is a very, you know, important thing for us to, uh, you know, kind of carry on and kind of be able to help us cut through. But I think, 
you know, if you're thinking about doing it, it's a great exercise. It'll have you, uh, it'll have you looking at every area of the business and really understanding it and where it impacts stakeholders, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. shareholders, but stakeholders. When you give an order to, you know, an artisan workshop where there's artisans producing product, how does that impact them? You know, what type of standards uh, are they working under? You know, what type of mm-hmm. kind of rights are they kind of given? So these are things that by the time the product gets on the quote shelf, a lot of that can be lost. And then again, that kind of goes back to the point of differentiation where allowing that story to be told and allowing that story to resonate with consumers, you know, I, I felt like that was like a pattern interrupt for uh, a lot of uh, customers where we were able to kind of um, show how we do things. Going back and touching on a little bit, you said before that, you know, sustainable products and, and social impact products and one for one products, I think, you know, for a long time, those products have um, been seen as, you know, less than quality of traditional um, manufacturers and products that they see in the stores. And I think the transition that is really helping, you know, you guys and, and all the other social impact brands out there is that the quality is is on par, if not better, than a lot of traditional brands and product lines you see out there, which I don't think was was the case you know, 10 years ago, you know, you would think of like a bracelet made by somebody in Ethiopia, right? Like that was like the the definition of like a social impact product. And like it was the kind of like flea market type stuff. But, you know, what what I'm sure you've seen and and through your product and what I've seen through interviewing so many people through Cause Artists is that these products are, you know, amazing, both in quality and design and then also their their eco-friendliness, their sustainability, their give back models. You know, so it's hard for a person once they understand and look at the product and understand the brand, it's hard for them to ever buy something different, right? It's it's hard for them to, to just yep. buy something from a traditional brand that doesn't have any of these qualities. Yeah, totally. I, I think where we're going now, I think there's definitely more awareness, you know, I think just general business practices and like how that affects the bottom line and kind of like going back to that shareholder or uh, stakeholder model of like, you know, how do you work in your local community? You know, like, you know, it's, it's kind of like, and I, I think for us too, you know, making a product out of something that was normally thrown away, it's hard for people to kind of put a, a mindset or, or, you know, to see like what impact they have by like recycling because mm-hmm. it's being thrown away. Mm-hmm. You know, you just kind of think, Oh, well I'll just, I'll put something in a different colored trash can and <laughs> it gets, you know, like wiped out every day. You know, maybe if you take your trash out every day or um, even if it was like, if you let it build up for a week, you don't really see it after five five days or you don't see it after a few months but if we can show you like okay look here's whole pop-up and this Mm -hmm. entire pop-up you know is the equivalent of an entire year Mm -hmm. you know of like you know one business you know that had waste you know this is what it would look like particularly across just these uh you know specific items you know those are the kind of things that like I think that really is different now. You know, that's something that 
you know, we're able to kind of show that and we're able to show, you know, even on the consumer level, you know, there's, you know, roughly 10 pineapple leaves in each bag we make. Mm -hmm. You know, there's about, you know, just under 20 bottles in each bag, you know, so you can kind of get a sense for like when you do recycle, what, what is it, you know, it helps bring more awareness and it helps the impact. So I think we're going in that indefinitely quality has to be, I, I always feel like we have to be better mm-hmm. than anything else because if it's not, then it's a very slippery slope of being, you know, considered, you know, like an inferior product. You know, I mm-hmm. always think about in recent times, I think about Tesla a lot. You know, mm-hmm. you don't think about Tesla as the eco friendly car, you know, or you don't think about it as like, you know, the car that's just like electric. You just think about it. Uh, more and more, it's just like the best car in its category, whether you're talking speed, whether you're talking safety, mm-hmm. whether you're talking, uh, you know, the range that they've, you know, kind of started to introduce longer range. Yeah. Uh, and, but that's what it takes, because like the second that they're not like number one. Right. One, well, well, then it's easier to call into question, you know, everything. Yeah, I think to, that's a great example of of how you almost have to go from you know, nothing to, you know, being the best in the industry, <laughs> you know, it's yep. it's for even to be, to, to sort of be noticed and to be taken seriously, which is, you know, absolutely, you know, difficult thing to, to attain to. But I think that more and more, you know, entrepreneurs like yourself, especially in the fashion industry need to, you know, take the jump, take the leap, because like you said, I mean, you know, recycling to me is a big deal because, you know, one, it's it's very easy to do. And I think that um, once people understand what can happen on the back end of that, you know, take your daily life to recycle that that stuff will go to, you know, a recycling plant. But if nobody come, if no entrepreneurs come and pick it up, you know, that stuff still ends up, you know, in landfills and eventually the ocean. So <laughs> we need That's we right. need more entrepreneurs like you. So when people put, you know, actually take time out of their day to recycle and, and do it correctly, that we have entrepreneurs, you know, have relationships with these men, with these, uh, you know, recycling production facilities to where, you know, you're getting free materials essentially for your brand, um, which is a great advantage, really. Um, so I think it's, you know, a lot of a lot of is about just education and, and understanding, you know, the life cycle of what how products get, you know, from a person's house to, to a landfill, then eventually, and unfortunately the ocean. So I think that you're hopefully inspiring some people to, to take that leap and kind of, uh, you know, take the road that, that you have, have taken. That's right. And, you know, I think it, it all like, it, it evens out across many different platforms because, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we may work with one customer in a way that, you know, we may get a ton of kind of donated materials, but, mm-hmm. you know, we may, you know, again, it goes back to the consumer. You know, what is the consumer willing to pay? So, you know, from a, an economic standpoint, we may not be uh, getting, you know, per per inch, you know, or per yard. We may not actually be mm-hmm. getting it free, but rather we may be paying. And at sure. the end of the day, you know, we are still empowering, you know, how do you you know, kind of empower people is kind of the question. So I definitely want to make sure that it gets across that while it all kind of equals out at the end, it, it does, uh, it adds 
cost to your business to kind of, you know, do things in a way that, you know, maybe slower or, uh, you know, that's kind of where the saying comes from, I guess, slow fashion. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, it does have his kind of niche, you know, as well. So, you know, there's, there's still, you know, there's opportunity in the niche. So always being uh, entrepreneurial and, you know, always being kind of thinking about the the top line and the bottom line, rather, you, uh, you know, you can kind of make those decisions for your business and, and how that's going to help you, you know, get your message out there. Um, We've, we've found a lot of success, you know, really just like, you know, doing things that we, we feel like we couldn't have done on our own. And then we know that maybe uh, a collaborator or a provider of material to us, they couldn't have done on their own either. Sure. So earlier you said, you know, like a lot of companies or, or new startup companies, they start with with one product. And now, um, you know, you have, you know, 20 or a dozen or, you know, soon to be, <laughs> you know, 40, 50. Right. It's that sign. That's a good sign of, of growth and, and doing things right. So just a little bit about what has been, you know, successful for you from, you know, a growth strategy of just. Um, you know, using email or using networking or using, you know, Instagram or using email? What what has been, you think, the, the most successful for, for you guys? I think for us in the beginning, you know, it was definitely it was online and it was, you know, kind of like low overhead, low administrative cost things that we could, could do, um, keeping our overhead really low. But as we grew, um, you know, definitely getting out there and showing this product to uh, stores and showing it to uh, companies has been really successful. Um, Trade shows, you know, we did a lot of trade shows last year where we just actually went uh, and just, you know, showed up with other entrepreneurs or other businesses that, you know, are selling into retail stores. You know, we we showed at uh, just about a show every month. So um, that's been really successful. And, you know, now it's kind of like kind of rounding it out. You know, we never want to be too uh, dependent on, on, you know, one particular strategy, whether that be direct or whether that be wholesale. But, you know, we want to have a mix. But, you know, really, you know, we're, we're, we're following the customer. So the customer is always right. And so where, where they want to experience our product you know, that's really kind of how we adapt and how we have uh, kind of molded our strategy uh, to, to service them in the best possible way. Has trade shows been something that has been successful for you guys? Because I know those can be, you know, as like kind of an early stage company, those can be kind of expensive to to kind of go to. You know, and I, I don't know if they yield the same results. Maybe they did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't think that... I I would go to trade shows like almost 15 years ago on the retail side Mm -hmm. and people were saying the same thing back then. I will say that (laughs) Uh, this is really expensive, you know, for these brands. I don't know if they're going to, you know, it was all that. That was the conversation back then. I think that it's almost I don't know. The only way I can think about it is like an analogy. You know, people get kind of hyped up about like crowdfunding, for example, versus mm-hmm. e-commerce. Well, they're basically it's kind of like the same thing, really. You know, like you still need traffic, you still need engagement, and you still need to convert. 
And I think about trade shows the same way. You know, today it's a lot different because a chunk is missing because, and I'm saying a chunk of, you know, potential buyers or a chunk of potential brands is missing because those buyers are either focused on kind of like the current assortments that they have and they're they're closed off to growing their business beyond that versus uh, brands that are going direct and bypassing the wholesale channel completely uh, and they're willing to spend those dollars to acquire customers direct. You know, I think it's still a big market where there's, and I see them, you know, and we work with them. There's a bunch of stores and there's a bunch of uh, companies that if we hadn't have been in a trade show, we would have just never met them or right. um, it may have taken longer to meet them. So I think that you have to do your homework still. You still need to follow a sales process that kind of fits your business model. And, you know, you, you can't wish or hope. Maybe you could have done that 15 years ago. But again, even then, people were saying the same thing. You had to be very deliberate. Mm-hmm. You, know, you had to you did still need to work hard to set up appointments and you still did have to work really hard to follow up and you had to make sure that your presentation was right and the product was right and your competition, you know, you had to have a distinct advantage competitively and be top of mind for the customer from a brand positioning standpoint uh, and a fulfillment and a satisfaction standpoint, delighting the customer. So I think that, you know, it's just uh, probably what we're seeing with retail, but kind of behind the wall, if you will, because it's, you know, trade shows are typically, you know, it's an intimate process between kind of the store and the brand suppliers. But if you think about retail or the way we think about it, at least the top stores are still going to do really well. Mm-hmm. And they're, you're going to have to provide an experience in a community and I think that has changed. Whereas you may could have gotten away with it years ago. Now you have to be deliberate and you have to build out kind of your brand in a way that, you know, keeps you top of mind uh, against the other pressures and, you know, more importantly, against Amazon. <laughs> um, well, let's 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 get into that for a second, because one, well, two things. One, I'm interested to to kind of hear your your, your answer to this is is competition, right? Because I think that, you know, you're, you've kind of had the ability to stand out, right? And the ability to be, you know, the one product on the shelf that is completely different from everybody else. But I'm wondering, how do you look at, you know, the slow fashion landscape and the eventuality that Every bag on the shelf is going to be made from, you know, plastic water bottles and all all these brands are going to be, you know, socially conscious and and create um, sustainable products. And like, how how do you look at that to where going from the only one on the shelf to be like that, where eventually, you know, I think everybody's going to be like that. I think that's really from a outlook standpoint and a trend standpoint, and I don't I'm not the best at predictions, but I don't think that every product's going to be made from recycled plastic bottles anytime soon. That's just kind of, if we look back into the 90s even, I mean, Patagonia was doing Mm -hmm. similar work and still does to this day. And I mean, now we see bigger players making commitments. Mm -hmm. I've seen 
team like Adidas make commitments to the direction of their company and what they um, are doing. But I think for us, when it comes to sort of like who do we sit next to, whether it's on a shelf or whether it's, you know, in a shopping cart online, I think we'll always evolve our brand and speak to our customer and service our customer in a way that they can only come to us for what we produce and what we deliver. Mm -hmm. So I think that really becomes the key for us to stand out in a market. And that's kind of always the case, right? Because, you know, if you need something from a company that there's a lot of different options that have the same thing, then, you know, price is always going to be the most important thing to really differentiate it. But if it's not a price play, it's not a commodity, which that's not what we're, we're not in that business. You know, we, mm-hmm. we're in the brand business, really. You know, we're in the customer relationship business. So we'll still have our customers because they'll come to us for stuff that they can't get elsewhere. And, you know, I think it comes down to how do you connect with your customers? What we're doing now, I mean, not a lot of people doing this right now. You know? nope. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, it's early, but yep. it's not a lot of people doing it. And that's always going to be us. We're always going to be um, looking in the places where everyone else isn't. So by that, for that, that's how we are able to differentiate uh, in a market. So let's uh, let's quickly t- let's quickly touch on Amazon then, because <laughs> um, what did you think about putting your products on Amazon, or you know, was the the cut that they take just just too big? And, and do you think that more retailers are going to actually start pulling their stuff off Amazon uh, just because it they it's not sustainable for their company? So. We we think that Amazon is an amazing company. I mean, they've managed to move from one category, <laughs> books, yeah. to everything, you know, which is just, I mean, that's just unprecedented. Mm-hmm. It's probably the greatest company ever created to this point. It, it, it probably is. It probably is. I, 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 I have a really hard time disputing that, I would say. That would, I mean, Jeff Bezos will probably be the best entrepreneur that has kind of lived to this point, right? But mm-hmm. I think that for us brands that need to really develop that connection point, going back to our last topic, we can't necessarily leverage that in a longer term fashion the way we can directly, meaning. Amazon would own our customer. Mm. Amazon would have that data. We need that data. We need mm-hmm. those customers. And not to mention the environment, while it is well put together, you know, I think for us, you know, we really need more kind of touch points and we need more kind of control on the story. And I feel that, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing a longer term strategy. Now I'm not saying that one day it wouldn't make sense for mm-hmm. us to find a way to work together. But I think in the capacity of what we do now, the products that we make, the customers that we're identifying, they're they're gonna look for us in the specialty stores and they're gonna look for us in a place where, you know, sort of like 
kind of like the value proposition of Amazon isn't necessarily um, what they're looking to be satisfied by. Um, you know, so we kind of have an understanding of who our customer is to the point that, you know, we've determined that in the short term, could we probably boost sales, you know, mm-hmm. and just kind of like make it happen through Amazon? I'm sure we could. I'm sure we would probably crush it that way. Mm-hmm. But but I think from a longer term strategy where that leads us is we want to be able to have these amazing opportunities to know who's yeah. kind of shopping our, our product. Um, we want to know how it's assorted. We don't want it to be lost. I mean, we don't even drop ship. So, mm. you know, any any retailers that we work with, they own our inventory. We're, we're not. We're not just only kind of putting it on a site. And again, it doesn't mean we won't do that one day. It just means that today, at this stage, we don't want to just get lost in a sea of product and you know, then be judged that we got lost in a sea of product. So from a brand perspective, it seems like the cut that Amazon takes is worth it. And that's not the problem. The problem is not being able to know your customer for the long term. And, and that creates a a way where you become a non-sustainable business because you don't you don't know your customer base and, and that's the real problem with Amazon not necessarily the cut they take right I think it's a lot of different reasons adding up I think that's one of them I think uh, I think knowing the customer and and for all I know I mean they may give you that data now as that being an objection I, I, I don't know you know I'll have to tell you when I don't know something I don't know that Another thing that I think about is just from a, I mean, we, we, we are a brand ourselves, so we want to make sure that we kind of control our product too. You know, we, I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that, you know, could be kind of researched or done. We're better off holding it on our own. And, you know, we, we kind of bet that we're better at connecting to the customer and being able to follow up with them uh, than a third party uh, in that capacity. And I I just think that, like, when I think about, like, what do, what type of things do I kind of go there to shop for personally and just in a small subset of our customers, well, they're going there for commodity purchases. Now, that's not to say that's not changing, you know, that we'll not just go there for more than cereal or more than, diapers or more than things that you know maybe it's just like more of a hassle to just go pick Mm -hmm. out yourself but if it's something really special and that's what we sell we sell something that's special Mm -hmm. there's still an idea that the association the aesthetic that that part of it is important the other side of that is that we do have customers retail customers who are selling our products in store and so, therefore, we also need to protect them. We want to make sure that it's easier for customers to go and support the local stores as well, which ties back into local community development. We mm-hmm. want to make sure that the mom and pop store is still there. They have enough pressure as it is. Mm-hmm. Let's support the local stores as well. The last question I have is, uh, you know, you've kind of been through through some hurdles and, and, and sort of been through through the dirt and been through the fire a little bit. You know, there's a, I think there's a lot of people out there that love fashion. You know, I think there's a lot of people out there that love the idea of, of starting their, their own fashion brand and, you know, their sustainable fashion brand or slow fashion brand. So 
um, if you can give them some some advice and and what avenues you know they can take, you know from from a very you know first step level, um, what would that advice be? It would be understand your business, understand your metrics, understand your customer, understand sales. No more important than um, breathing and blood flow and you know community like the things that you use to live that you just need to leave to live to breathe you have to like know the things for your business to live and breathe um, and and that's what sales and cash that's what those things are so you know really fully understand those things awesome well i appreciate it my man i, I appreciate you taking the time and uh my pleasure obviously best of luck in the future and uh i'm sure we'll talk soon